0: The great secret of hospitality is that the person offering hospitality is often more blessed and gets more out of it than the person they offer it to. And I think the best illustration of this is the cooking mom. How many cooking moms do we have here? How many moms? It's your house that everyone comes to. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the food, honey. It's the food. But uh, if you're not one of these moms, you all know a mom that a lot of times she won't even sit down. It is her great joy to to hover over you with a fork of with another fork of mashed potatoes. As soon as you're finished, they put another fork of mashed potatoes on your plate. It. Do you see the joy in there? And they get more joy in serving you, cooking, serving, cleaning up than you do even in eating it. And I I want you to understand that because we need to be hospitable people. And And listen, it always costs, hospitality always costs you something. But you get more out of it than the person you're hospitable to. I know that as pastor and ministry and talking about this. The New Testament has... Four direct references to hospitality. And just real quick, I want to share those with you before we get to Mary and Martha. And I call them the hospitality commands. And the first one is hospitality needs to be pursued. You need to pursue it. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. This is from the message, so you may not recognize it exactly. But you know Romans 12, right? Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Wow. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking, oh, that, that verse... Apparently, you don't think about it. <laughs> We're getting acclimated to the culture. The temperature is rising and we don't even know it. We're just slow. There's, how many know they're slowly causing us to compromise? Instead, say instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Wow, that's an interesting way to interpret that. Then verse 13, help needy Christians be inventive. King James says pursue hospitality pursue hospitality I think the King James says given to hospitality and that word given means to pursue it means to press forward so hospitality needs to be something that we're that we're active about that we think about that doesn't just happen occasionally or when it's forced on us Number two, hospitality has to be practiced. Say practiced. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 talks about this, but the end of all things is at hand. Can I get an amen to that? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, above all things, is that a pay attention verse? Above all things have Fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Be hospitable to one another. Oh, Paul knows people. Without grumbling. Be, you know, some people will do hospitality, but they don't like it and they complain and they grumble. Without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. You have been given a gift to be hospitable. Therefore, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold, the many folds of grace. Oh, can I get an amen? Without Grumbling. I, I looked up that Greek word and it's really cool. It's gong goose moose. No grumbling or gong goose moose. You're free to take that if you want to. 2 Corinthians 9 7 sums this whole thing up with, with this. It says, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves. Now, he, I know he loves the grumbler too, but there's a special place in God's heart when you give cheerfully. We well, always refer this to money, but it's not, not just about money. It says you've been given a gift, so share it. Use your gift to be a blessing to someone else and do it what? Cheer- cheerfully. Can I get an amen? Number three, hospitality is a principle. It was required, required for leadership. First Timothy three two, just real quick. We look at it. A bishop must be blameless, husband of one wife. Said, so what does that mean? That means one at a time. <laughs> well, they did things back then. Temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable. Able to teach. Required for leadership is hospitality. Also, that's at the top of the ladder, but also at the bottom of the ladder in that time was the widows, First Timothy 5.10. He said, if we're going to take care of you, you need to be hospitable. Uh, if, if well reported for good works. If she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has, didn't, if she has diligently followed every good work... So that hospitality was necessary. And lastly, that doesn't mean it's the last point, but just the last of the four. Hospitality has to be prioritized. Say prioritized. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, and you're very familiar with this one. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget. And I think that's important because we sometimes forget to be hospitable. Remember last week's message? They saw the wounded half-dead man, but they passed by. Don't forget to entertain strangers. <laughs> you know the 10 commandments, there's only one that says don't forget, by the way. Do you know which one it is? The Sabbath. It's the only commandment where it says, don't forget to honor the Sabbath. Can I put that in today's language? Don't forget to come to church on Sunday. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Ooh, how about that? You need to be hospitable because that, that person that, that you just think isn't worthy of it might be an angel. I know that doesn't motivate some of you. You're going to see someone and go, what are the chances? <laughs> I mean, it might be an angel, but I'm busy. But but you know what Matthew 25 says? You may, ne- most of us will never entertain an angel. I'm sorry. I mean, has anybody entertained an angel? Let me see your hands. I mean, anybody ever entertained? Okay, not, nobody here. Some of you were like, oh, I might have been. I don't know. What, what, what does that mean? Wait, you may never, but listen to what Jesus says. He will say to those sheep on his right hand, Blessed you, have come, you, blessed have inherit the kingdom prepare for you in the foundation of the world. Or I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Verse 36. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That's hospitality. And Jesus says, if you do it unto the least of these, you may never entertain an angel, but you can entertain Jesus every day. (laughs) And by the way, it counts. (laughs) Hello, you can get to heaven by being a grouch. Barely. But when you get there, there's that thing called rewards. In other words, I guess the size of your mansion, I don't know. Some of you are going to live in a shack for all eternity, I don't know. But here's what I'm saying. hospitality, that's your works. You're going to be rewarded for that because Jesus says, I feel it when you do it to them, when you bless them, when you help them, when you love them. You're doing it literally to me. So whenever you're hospitable, don't grumble and complain. What if it was Jesus? Because it is. Wow. Wouldn't it be great if we could all start seeing Jesus in other people? Come on, come on, come on! It's interesting. The word for hospitality in the Greek is, is, is philozenia. Philo, philozenia. You've all heard of uh, homophobia. Well, there's a word called xenophobia that's the next thing you're going to hear a lot about and it's and it's not it, it's fear of the fear of a stranger or fear of an illegal alien is what'll happen and you know we, so we have homophobia we have xenophobia but this isn't xenophobia this 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 is this is philo, philo xenia, love of the stranger love of the hosting love of uh, helping somebody, and that that's that's a great that's a great word. Now let's examine Mary, Martha, and Jesus. John we think refers to this. He doesn't talk about Mary and Martha the way Luke does, but he does mention that Martha was cooking and serving, and Mary poured expensive oil on Jesus and worshipped him. And that's where Judas shows up. Remember Judas? We could have spent that money on the poor. Jesus said, you always got poor people. Isn't Jesus great? If one of us has said that, we get criticized. Jesus said, you always have poor, and you can always do good to the poor. I don't care how much good you do, there's always going to be more poor people you can help. But he says, I'm here now. And her pouring this on me is something that will never be forgotten. She's anointing me for my burial. Wow. That hospitality. And by the way, in John, we learn that their brother Lazarus is there. And it says Lazarus is sitting at the table. Typical man. Martha's worshiping. Come on. Martha's serving. Lazarus is eating. Typical. But let's get back to Luke's interpretation of it. And you know the story. Luke chapter 8, verse, verse, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that as they went. Remember they're going from the north. To the south, and they're near Jerusalem. Now, Bethany's just like three miles away from Jerusalem. Now, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha is the one that welcomes him, calls him in. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Notice she was distracted. She was being pulled away from, come on. And she approached him and said, Lord. How many know she had an attitude? One hand on the hip. Lord. Do you not care. Emphasis. That my sister has left me to serve alone? Hmm. Therefore, tell her. Didn't even ask. Tell her to help me. Jesus, tell her. Get off her lazy behind. And help me serve. I mean, besides Lazarus, there's the 12 disciples and Jesus. That's uh, 13, 14, the two women. That's at least 17 people and no microwave. How many know it's not easy to cook back then? No electric stove, not even a gas stove. There is fire from wood somewhere in a little... They didn't even have fireplaces back then. They didn't invent the chimney yet. So there they are cooking. So let's look at this a little closer. And the first point I want to make is this. I want you to understand that the, Luke, above all other writers, really emphasizes the ministry of women and the contribution of women in the, in the ministry of Jesus. You know, he starts with Elizabeth. We, we, we preached about the widow of Nain, how Jesus was touched with her situation when her only son died. We preached about the sinner woman. You know, amen? And, 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 uh, and, and you need to understand that Luke talks about women in ministry. They're, they're going back a couple chapters, let's pick up this in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. It said, now it came to pass afterward, just a little parenthesis that, that Luke puts in his, in his uh, 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 gospel. It came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come had come seven demons, And Joanna, the wife of Herod's King Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided from him from their substance. Like today, Jesus could not minister without the women. Ladies, that was your opportunity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Especially this Joanna woman who's... uh, uh, she's the wife of Shuzah. He was a, a steward, uh, a man of authority in King Herod's court. I don't think he's saved probably, or Herod would have thrown him out, but his wife is. If any of you ever been in that or are in that situation where your husband's not saved? It's difficult, especially back then. But she's taking her husband's money and giving it to Jesus, come on now, saints. She's supporting the ministry, and Susanna, and she, she names these women and Mary Magdalene. And by, by the way, when it when it talks about someone having demons cast on them, you need to understand something. Back then, if you had a demon, it, they didn't consider you necessarily evil. They considered you a victim. That somehow a demon had gotten a hold of you, and you couldn't help yourself anymore, and you need to be delivered. I think that's useful today. I think that's a useful thought. Not that they, if you have a demon, you may do some wicked things, therefore. But remember that we need to look at people who may have a demon, not as evil people, but people who need deliverance. They need a healing. They need need something removed from their life so they can be who God made them to be. Can I get an amen? Praise God. Women in ministry. You know, we talk about the woman at the well. My God, she went to town and preached to all the men and a whole city got saved. What do you do with her? Come on, church. (laughs) The evangelist Philip had seven daughters. They were all prophetesses. So women can't preach, but apparently they can prophesy. Duh. Isn't that the same thing? Or should be? (laughs) So, so we need to balance the scriptures and understand this. Ladies, I want on this Mother's Day, I just want to encourage you. i tell you, when, when, when the Bible puts women in the narrative, you don't really seem to understand that back then, that was rare. Writers did not talk about women. They did not uh, lift up women. The only purpose for women was to be in the kitchen and have children. That's it. If you birthed a, a daughter, the only purpose for that daughter is to help in the household and marry her off and get a good dowry. They paid dowries. Why? Because you raised that daughter, now you're losing her, you got to pay for that. And the better family that you marry into, better dowry. I mean, I mean, the. Okay? Okay, so, are, are, are you with me? Number two, Jesus loves Martha. You need to get this. And he doesn't judge her. He just points out the choices. In fact, in the Greek, it's really, it's Martha, dear Martha. He loves her. And what he's saying to Martha is, Mary's not your problem. The trouble is within you. You don't need addition. You need subtraction. You don't need Mary to help you. You need to pull away for a little bit and quit doing something so you can focus on what is really important. Are are you following me? What he's saying to Martha without being cruel or judgmental, I mean, after all, if, if he his cards right, he's going to get a good meal out of this. But what he's saying to Martha is, there's a better choice that you can make. See, you can make bad choices and still go to heaven. But he's telling you there are some better choices. Wow. Number three, Martha's choice was to complain. Mary's choice was to listen. And I think today, when you listen to Martha, what you hear is church people. So Martha's choice was to complain. I'm not getting enough help. I'm doing more than I should. I'm in over my head. Mary's choice was to listen. Martha judged Mary. She didn't really care that much about Mary. She presumed to know the real work, and she ordered Jesus around. She bossed Jesus. And don't judge your brother and sister because they're not doing what you think they should do. So she judges Mary. But the next point is this. Basically, she wanted to make Mary into Martha. I think a lot of times we think if everyone was like me, she wanted to make Mary into Martha. I, I think sometimes we want to make everyone in our image instead of God's image. Let's quit trying to ch- wanting to change our guests and let's just listen and love our guests. Th- this isn't so much about being spiritual or being practical, it's about both. It's about when you're practical, be spiritual in your practicing. And when you're spiritual, learn how to be practical as well. It, it's about not getting lost in the many things so that you don't do the one thing. And that's, I think that's really the purpose of what the world's trying to do, is distract you from Jesus with all the things you think you need to do. I have to do this. I have to be there. I, we've got every excuse to, mutton to not be here on Sunday. And some of them are legitimate, I guess, but when we get to the point where going to church is the last thing we do, when there isn't anything else, to, then we've gone too far. We've misprioritized this whole thing. You know, if they're, if they're making you work and you can't get off, but if you're just working just to get the overtime... Is that okay? I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. We get lost in the many things, so we miss the one thing. Watch this. In trying to please her guest with a meal, she lost out in hearing what her guest had to say. Listen, when you do hospitality, we need to figure out what the guest needs and minister to that instead of expecting the guest to conform to what we think. Quit trying to make them in your image. Take them the way they are as a guest and love on them, and you'll be surprised what God will do in them. Let me put it another way. I think Martha chose the heavy yoke. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If it's easy and light, what is there to complain about? If we're complaining, it's because probably we chose the heavy yoke instead of the easy yoke. Let me kind of wrap this up. But Mary Mary takes a seat at the table at the feet of Jesus. you got to get this because it's deeper than you think because that's where the men sat. Why? Because this is a teaching moment. And women back then were not sent to school. They were not taught the Torah, the Old Testament. And get this: it's not because they didn't think. This is, when I read this, it blew my mind. They didn't, the reason they didn't teach women was not because they didn't think they would understand it, but that they would twist it. Oh, those Jewish men. How many know they would not survive in this age? How many know they, ought, they, they should be canceled? Amen. Wow. They thought women would twist the word, so let's not bother even teaching it to them. So when Jesus would be teaching the men, and by the way, when, when, they would, when Jesus taught, he would teach from a sitting position. And most other people would be standing or or, or laying or s- sitting. Up over, but never would there be women sitting, learning about the the t- Of course, what Jesus had happened all the time. Remember, remember, the, ser- remember the Sermon on the Mount? They said there were 5,000 men there. They didn't even count the women. Come on. And that's in the Bible. <laughs> all right, so, so, so watch this. So here's the men whatever men there may, we know Lazarus was there who else was there we don't know but but the men would be sitting at his feet learning cuz only men could be disciples only men could follow but Luke makes a note that this woman is at the feet of Jesus this woman is not just worshiping she's learning she's picking up on the word of God she's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with she's going to know the word she's going to preach the word she's going to see lives change through the word amen she's sitting at the feet of the master learning the word of god oh come on ladies we need to stop delegating women to the kitchen There's nothing wrong with being in the kitchen. Nothing wrong with being a good cook. You can serve. You can have an amazing ministry. I'm not saying you shouldn't be in the kitchen. I'm just saying let's not limit women to the kitchen. Let's not limit women to childbearing. God has put purpose in you, and you need to find it at the feet of Jesus, ladies. Yes. Yes. Praise God. You know, the question is here to, to you today, what are you going to do with Mary? Are you going to accept her and love her and teach her? Or are you going to say, you belong in the kitchen? Let, 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 let's, let's stop stereotyping women. And let's let them be who God made them to be. And ladies, I understand that you shine best, I think, whatever your gifts, you shine best as mothers. You shine best in the home. I get that. God wants you to be that mother. He wants you to raise children. It's so earth, it's the most important thing you can do. But I'm telling you, you need to find your way like Mary to the feet of Jesus. Learn that word. And be the complete, whole mother, amen, that God has meant you to be. If God means for you to raise children and grandchildren, then just do it. If there's more, if your gifts are different, uh, your gifts will include that. Uh, You know, sometimes when you have that first baby, you ask yourself, am I going to be a good mother? And then you were a great mother. I I know you're going to be and I have been a great mother But if God has called you to even other things, be open to that and be the woman God has called you to be. In the New Testament, Paul talks about women who choose or feel called to not marry. And God calls them to that place and calls them to that position. And that's important for the kingdom of God. Come on. And he talks about widows who, have, who, who now are alone. And God's saying, You may be alone, but you're still needed. And you need, uh, you may be all alone in that house now, but listen to me, you need to find yourself at the feet. Because he lets the women come and be taught and to worship and to learn of him. God, ladies is giving you a seat at the table.